Hello, this is Matt Brown, the worship pastor here at Glenelg Bible Church. You're listening to the Next Level Podcast. Today, we're going to answer listener questions from Sunday, July 9th, 2023. Hello, I'm Alex Goff, campus pastor of the Poplar Creek campus. Hi, I'm Brendan Dyer. I'm the pastor inter- pastoral intern this summer. I'm Kelly Brady. I serve as senior pastor here at Glenelg Bible Church. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Next Level. Good morning. Morning, guys. Hello. How you guys doing? Good, good. Brendan, hey, let's do a quick check-in. How's it going with college ministry? College ministry is going really well. We're having, um, on average, 10 to 12 people each week. Uh, We're just talking, doing life together, playing games, having fun, and then getting into the Bible. Um, We were doing a talk. The topic was (laughs) encounters with Jesus, but now we're talking through biblical manhood and womanhood and a bit of sexuality as well. So that's fun topics for college ministry. Yeah. Well, cool. I know that college ministry can be difficult in the summer with kids coming and going. So mm. I'm thankful for the guys, fun. kids that are showing up. Yeah. They well, love playing Wii tennis from some, for Wii some sort. Wii tennis. Yeah. That's what we've been playing lately. Sweet. They're meeting yeah. at your house for they these are, yeah. gatherings? At my, yeah, my apartment. Cool. Small little place, but it's fun. Yeah. What resources are you using to cover some of the oh. subjects? Um, the main book that I'm using for, um, the topics on sexuality and biblical manhood, womanhood the Bible. is the Bible, obviously, <laughs> but also, um, recovering, um, uh, recovering biblical manhood and womanhood by, um, Wayne Grudem and John Piper. Hmm. So that's the big one. Um, but also we talked about a lot about marriage yesterday. So we used, um, Tim Keller's book, meaning of marriage. That was mm, helpful that's as a well. One. Yeah. So, cool. So Alex, how'd it go Sunday for you? Really great. Um, I thought your sermon was excellent. There's a question on the podcast here, some follow-up yeah. uh, discussion on that. Um, we had six new families yesterday, and uh, that was really neat to see. Four of them were invites by someone in the congregation. Oh, man, that's and great. so uh, it was really neat to see just relational evangelism happening before our eyes. Yeah. Um, and uh, the service went really well. It, um, Jennifer did a great job leading. Uh, it was just a very basic gospel message, but um, I think everybody walked away, including myself, encouraged just from what Paul had to say. Good. Yeah, I mean, it's a message that doesn't get old. No. <laughs> and, you know. It's like, good to hear about grace. Yeah, yeah man. Absolutely. Yeah. How about you guys over at Glen Ellen? It was good. Yeah. Um, pretty straightforward morning. And at the end of first service, there's a little curveball. Uh, Thor Celine came up to me as we were closing the service with two songs. And um, he was tearful. Thor's father passed away last week. And, I, mm-hmm. and Thor and I had met for prayer um, after his dad passed away. And, um, and Thor said, hey, I, I want to just encourage the congregation. Would you be okay if, if I did that? I said, sure. What do you want to say? And he was sharing with me, I, we were down on the front row, and um, and so he got up and shared a little bit at the end of service uh, about how to fight the good fight. The, the theme of my sermon was uh, how to fight the good fight, and he just was reflecting on the impact his father made on him as someone who was fighting the good fight. Mm-hmm. So it was a good, it was a good uh, impromptu sharing, so. Yeah, that's awesome. What a huge blessing it is to have a father who is just solid in the faith, you know, mm-hmm. walking strongly it with, was kind the, of with funny the Lord. He, and if you haven't, if you weren't there at first service or you haven't watched it online, it was funny. He said that his father was a horrible, atrocious singer. Couldn't carry, oh, yeah. couldn't <laughs> carry a note in a bucket, but was really bold in his singing. He didn't let that get in the way. And we so highly value singing around here. 
and the congregation singing together that I thought that was a good word. I appreciated that, uh, that testimony. I'm looking at the verse right now. Shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Maybe he took shouting a little too serious. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's even a verse in the Psalms about raising your hands. Ooh, Ooh. crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I kid, I kid. I, I actually read a, um, uh, an article by the Gospel Coalition last night about uh, emotional response in worship. Um, hmm. And anytime, if anyone's wondering what the Gospel Coalition is, it's a, you know, more in the reformed camp uh, point of view type of things. But this, so this article kind of stood out from a lot of the other articles they yeah. put out because it was kind of more in the charismatic vein of, but it, it just gave good, solid biblical examples of expressive worship, mm-hmm. hands raised worship, um, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then also juxtaposed it by saying, and there's also a time to be, to have contemplative, quiet, right. quiet reflective worship. It was, mm-hmm. it was good. It was a good article. Um, all right, let's, uh, let's get into some questions. The word soldiers in scripture seems really dangerous to me. Maybe I am too sensitive and it makes me nervous to use the D-Day invasion to help teach fighting the spiritual fight. How do we avoid becoming militarized like the church was during the Crusades? Did that occur to any of you guys? Like, does that... As I was listening to your sermon yesterday, the thought did pop up. Interesting. um, We have someone in our campus that tends to take things literally when Mm -hmm. reading the Bible. That's one of the struggles that he's had in exploring God's word. And, and, for a verse like fighting the good fight, for sure, he would he would struggle with that yeah. because the only um, context that he has for fighting is physical, right? Fists, physical, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, you know, me ten years ago, I feel like I would have been sensitive to that. Maybe like, I don't know, man. I feel like the older I get and the more I'm, I just am more aware of my surroundings and what's going on. And the more uh, as time I spend in scripture, the more I'm aware of the, the reality of the spiritual realm, the spiritual battle that's going mm-hmm. on, the more comfortable I am talking about soldiers in war and yep. those kinds of uh, images and, and ideas, because that is what is happening yeah. <laughs> like in this, yeah. in the spiritual sense that yeah. Yeah. it's very much what's happening and what will end up happening. Yeah. We know the end, just like what we, saying yesterday we know how the story ends we know how it's going to end up but it is a war yeah and in a war you have to be aware of the enemy and prepared and thinking about those things yeah 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 so the question is how do we avoid becoming militarized like the church was during the crusades great question and a primary way that we avoid that is to remember that our battle is not against flesh and blood. Paul's really clear on that. He says in Ephesians six, put on the full armor of God. So it's a military metaphor. He's using Mm -hmm. armor. He says, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. So wear this armor so that you're, you've got some defense against the devil's schemes. Then he says, for our struggles, not against flesh and blood, other humans, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil, in the heavenly realms. So when we fight or <clears throat> the fighting we're doing is in resistance to, um, the spiritual forces of evil in the world. And there's another 
question coming up about um, how do we distinguish in culture what should be fought against and what should not. Mm -hmm. So, but we avoid the crusader mentality, uh, a middle, uh, middle ages, dark ages uh, reality when the church actually went to war and funded war. Uh, we avoid that by remembering we don't battle against flesh and blood. And it, it, can, it is or can be noble for Christians to fight in, as yeah. soldiers to defend their nation from attack. Uh, there's, however, no such thing as a Christian military action. Um, hmm. Christians can serve as soldiers in, an, in the earthly realm, in an earthly army, but there's no such thing as a Christian army. Um, so we avoid confusion, confusing the two by setting our eyes on things above and, and making sure we understand our citizenry is in heaven. That's, well, yes, I'm a citizen of the United States, but firstly, primarily I'm a citizen of heaven. Yeah. The people that we may be tempted to fight around us, we have to remember that, um, I, I go back to verses like Matthew five forty three. Um, Jesus says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Um, the people that we may be tempted to label as an enemy and fight around us. I think it's just important to draw the distinction that they are not the enemy. Oftentimes they're taken hostage by the enemy. Mm. The one that is mentioned in Ephesians that we're called to fight the good fight of faith against. Yeah. The college I went to Wheaton college, local good college. Brendan's a student there or just graduated, but uh, the, the, um, the name for their mascot for the longest time while I was there was the Crusaders. Bunch of Christian colleges. Yeah. Right. And, um, and I think they rightly decided to change it. I, you know, um, I think there's too much baggage with the historic uh, Crusades not to change it. And Crusaders, if you're unfamiliar with it, they fixated. Um, so I think the first Crusade was 1092 thereabouts or somewhere in there. Um, you know, in the, in the second millennia after Christ, right at the beginning of the second millennia, but crusaders fixated on liberating cities that they perceived to be holy or significant Christian sites, Jerusalem being the primary one from Muslim rule. And so, um, Paul says really clearly in Colossians, since you've been raised with Christ, and that is our faith, that we're raised with him just as he's raised and we reap the benefits of his resurrection. Paul says, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And I, I do think that, you know, the, the crusaders got sidetracked in, in making this world their home. Um, now, don't get me wrong. I, as a U.S. citizen, I want to defend our our land and, and I want to advocate for democracy globally. Um, but, um, I don't, as best I can tell, conflate that with my citizenry in heaven. Yeah. I think I probably would, if I really thought through, it would say something to the effect of, um, you know, when you are waging war, it's normally for your benefit. It's for your fight against, um, mm. sin. It's for your fight. Like, you're not fighting the battle because God needs you as a soldier so that he can, so God can win out the day. It's not as much that as it is. I'm waging war against sin so that I can put sin to death in my life so that I can experience the joy that God has for me now. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> like God's got it. He's going to win. Yeah. 
Like he wants you to fight for your good, but he doesn't need you to fight so that his end can be carried out, so that he can be victorious. No. Right. He's going his to be victorious. Secured, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So I feel like maybe we, and maybe that was true for the for the Crusaders that maybe that mindset can creep in. Like, man, God has called me to oh, without to a doubt, fight to defend Jerusalem. No, there's no doubt. It almost, almost like God needs me right. in a way, in a sense. Right. Does that make sense? I like, think you're I, spot on. Yeah. Well, and then, and that's how you could maybe draw the connection to, um, maybe Christian nationalism today in our country that the oh, root, without a doubt. Yeah. the root of a lot of that is fear that if I don't fight against the people around me, um, God's going to lose. Sure. Right. And well, and we attest that to geopolitical ends. Yeah. Geographic, I want, I want, quote unquote, God's rule uh, yeah. in my county or my city. Mm-hmm. Um, Where it feels like it gets dicey, though, is like what you just said, Kelly. We, you were like, I, I want to advocate for democracy around the world. Well, you're a Christian. Right. You live in a, the United States right. who has a republic, right. so, a right. democracy of right. sorts. Yeah. And you want to advocate because you think that that is fair and right and just government. Right. 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 So it's hard, you know, but at the same time, you're a Christian. Yeah. And and (laughs) I think you're pointing out, oh, without a doubt, we need to work hard in our own souls, our own heads to make sure we we separate the actions um, that we think are best for our nation as a citizen of our nation and the actions that we think are best for our nation as a citizen of heaven. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Church history can be really comforting if in, in this area of just studying what happened to the church when a country rises up to try and squash it. You know what? It's mm-hmm. the quote, the, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Mm-hmm. You study places like China and how the gospel's exploding over there and um, they're fighting the good fight of faith. Mm-hmm. All right, let's, uh, let's go to the next one. It's uh, along the same lines here. You said that fighting the good fight of faith is every bit as physical as modern warfare. What does that look like? So we shouldn't miss the most obvious um, examples. Christ physically suffered and died for our freedom. He gave his life. He was nailed to a cross. Uh, Then he was physically raised uh, for our victory over death so that his, his death accomplished our forgiveness, secured our forgiveness, his resurrection, secured our eternal life. Uh, we should also not miss the fact that hell is described as a place of physical torment. So there is a physicality to the world in which we live that um, is, is tethered to, is tied to spiritual realities. God... Um, physicality was God's idea. God loves the physical world. He created the physical world. He, he became embodied. The incarnation in itself is in some respects to be seen as an invasion Hmm. where God comes to earth. He invades our space. He comes to a hostile territory to serve, to conquer conquering languages used in the new Testament. Um, And so he conquers sin and death. He conquers the spiritual forces of evil through his death. So it's every bit as physical. And then um, I'll read a verse. It's it's a it's a uh, a debated verse. It's a difficult verse. Um, If you have three 
translations. Um, they're going to translate these verses uh, three different ways. Um, but that isn't to say we don't know anything mm -hmm. uh, from these verses or we can't say something uh, with clarity about it. So the verse is Matthew eleven twelve. All right. It's Jesus speaking. He says, from the days of John the Baptist until now. So it's Jesus speaking from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. Some other translations say it advances by violence. So this notion, I actually thought about sharing this verse Sunday morning as I'm talking about the language and the, the, the call to fight. Um, we don't like violence. We, we don't like the idea of violence, but it's clear from Jesus' perspective that he suffered violence in order to win a spiritual victory. Heaven, uh, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. So violence was done against Christ and the violent take it by force. There is a forcefulness. He is overthrowing, he's conquering. And so we, we need to see that in our own life. There's a real physical reality to the warfare that we're a part of. So what does that look like? A verse that I have committed to memory, probably some verses I've committed to memory, probably over, I think it was 15 years ago now, Colossians 3, uh, a section of that really clearly for me reminds me that there is a physical effort required, a, a, in, in some cases a violent, the words Paul's going to use is put to death. So that is a violent effort, putting something to death. Mm. So it's Colossians 3, 5 through 10, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to the earthly nature. So we're about to, Paul's telling us to put something to death, to violently take life away from whatever belongs to the earthly nature. And then he gives a laundry list of things that belong to the earthly nature, things we're to do violence against. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God's coming. You used to walk in these in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off the old self and its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of the creator. So this notion that we're to put to death... There is an active, physical killing of evil desires in our lives. So this question of like fighting the good fight of faith, um, you talk about how it's every bit as physical as modern warfare. Um, it's important when we're looking at passages like 1 Timothy 1, 18 through 20, we're not just talking about something conceptual. Like what I hear, what I'm hearing you say, mm -hmm. Kelly, is that there are physical ways, just as a soldier runs into the battlefield, there are ways that we can physically involve our bodies in this fight mm -hmm. against the enemy. Um, you have a list on here and um, we've talked about this earlier, but singing, um, singing mm -hmm. is a way that we fight, um, praying with one another. All of those are ways that we physically involve our, our bodies, bodies yeah. in this warfare. Are there other examples that you guys can think of? I'd Take, uh, well, just pick your favorite sin and imagine in your mind your favorite sin and how it physically, how you physically participate in it. Your favorite sin, whether it's lust or greed or. That's a good point. And so you physically participate, gossip. If gossip's your favorite sin, 
you physically participate in it. Well, there is a corresponding mm. physical activity by which you put that to death. Are there are, Brendan's rolling his eyes. He's trying to imagine what that might be. But so there is a, just as we physically participate in sin, we physically participate in righteousness as we put to death sin is what I'm trying to say. So for physically struggling with like the sin of idolatry and wealth, you know, always going to stores and buying yeah. things for ourselves, right. you could flip that and serving sacrificially, um, right. you know, yeah. taking care of orphans and widows. Yeah. For, yeah, for lots of people, uh, shopping's a form of entertainment. They're bored, so they get up and they go shopping. Um, and so um, it, it could very well be an idol in that respect. Uh, um, so I, I do think, you know, one of the best ways to address the idol of greed or uh, gluttony. There's mm -hmm. Gluttony can be with food, but it can also be with purchases. I mean, how many pairs of shoes do we actually need, right? So we can be gluttonous in, in whatever we consume, whatever we... And so the way, one way to battle that is the money that you would normally use in your entertainment shopping, you give away. Mm -hmm. you, so it's, it's a physical activity. Yeah. This totally shifts it for me. I've never thought about those responses as acts of war, you know, oh, and, yeah. and fighting, Absolutely. but you're totally right. Well, it's, and it's, you shared in your sermon yesterday about a historic um, struggle you had with pornography. Yep. So, so, and that's question number five, it's coming up, but um, I, I've had my own struggle with lust. So I know the physicality of that. I know uh, how it, you know, it draws you in. It's very fleshly. It's, it's, um, it, it has a, a physical promise to it. You, you participate in this, you're going to feel, feel better. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, which always leads to death <laughs> actually. But it, it, to battle that one of the key ways I have battled lust is by fasting. Mm. Um, so learning the discipline of going without food taught me over time that I can have the uh, strength of self-control mm. to say no yeah. to the, the desire to consume images or yeah. to fantasize. Because your flesh in that moment it's is, saying, is saying, you're not giving me nourishment. Right. Right, right. In a sinful and wrong way. You're not giving me nourishment. Yeah, the you're, flesh neg has desires, you're neglecting. Not dissimilar to food. Right, right. Yeah, I think in a suburban context, fasting is an essential activity. Mm -hmm. It's essential because everything in suburbia is geared towards consumption. Mm -hmm. We consume images, i.e. lust. We consume food. Think of all the, I mean... Alex, I don't mean to pick on you, but you're, you're a foodie. You love, I just got back from Kansas city and it was mainly <laughs> yeah, a the trip for the barbecue. The first thing you showed me was the barbecue you consumed. So, Dude, that's so good. <laughs> so it's, it's, you know, in the context in which we live, consumption is encouraged hmm. and, and we, we earn money in order to consume. So I'm, I'm thinking about just my own context and uh, one of the sins that I struggle with is anger and having a short fuse and sometimes not being as in control of my tongue as I'd like to be. And the people that get hurt by that mainly are my family because they're the ones that see me the most. 
And one of the things that I've tried to intentionally do over the last month is be intentionally encouraging with my son. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I try to do every day when I wake him up is just to remind him that I love him. I've, I, I've never thought of that as I'm fighting. Oh, absolutely. But it totally is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't. So, you know, my whole sermon yesterday was about the necessity of fighting. And we don't, we don't like that. I do think that if, as you age a little, um, you, you get a keener sense of the spiritual war that's going on around you. Mm-hmm. And you see how we physically participate in it. But I, I, generally speaking, I don't, we don't see how every decision we make has spiritual implications. It has, and it contributes either to our bondage or to our freedom. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. Let's go to this next one. How are we to tell which parts of culture are to be fought against as people of faith and which parts are to be embraced? Mm-hmm. So it's a great question, and um, it gets especially tricky when um, Christians disagree on what should be embraced and what should be fought against. I think of examples like alcohol, or I think of example marijuana. Marijuana, great example, Um, right? So, our just sharing a little bit of our story. um, One of our favorite books. as a family that Olivia and I have read together is the Harry Potter series. And so we, um, we had a friend group in our last ministry up in Minnesota that also loved those books. And we had a Halloween party that was Harry Potter themed. Well, there were some people within the church that once they heard that we had, um, a party that was themed after witchcraft, um, <laughs> when cel- you say it like that, it right. sounds uh, the party geared towards <laughs> celebrating evil. That's the party you had. Yeah, that's right. Um, and so the, the conversation that we entered into and something that's just been helpful for me in answering this question is that there, there are three ways that we can interact with culture. Uh, the first way is rejection. And that's, that's what some of the people within the church, that was the posture that they were taking. There are certain aspects of the, the culture that need to be absolutely rejected. Um, some examples of that would be things like um, the pornography industry. You know, we mentioned pornography earlier. I mean, you can look at the stats that say um, just how exploitive and abusive it is towards women. Even as we see it getting more and more embraced in our culture, I believe that the church needs to firmly reject that. So that's, that's the first way that we can interact with culture. The second way is by receiving, just totally taking on, taking it on. There's nothing wrong with it. Um, an example of that would be something like, um, baseball. I love baseball. I think, you know, our culture loves baseball and there's nothing wrong with it. We can receive the gift of baseball. We can go see uh, a game without feeling guilty in our consciences. So receiving rejection. And then the third is redeeming. It's taking something and redeeming it. And so when I think of a, a subject like Halloween or even Harry Potter, there are themes within that book that are um, very Christological. Um, uh, you know, there are topics like sacrifice and generosity and courage that I hope to teach my children through these stories. And so we're taking something and we're redeeming it. Halloween, you know, I know some Christians take the posture of um, we want nothing to do with this evil holiday at all. 
But some churches take the posture of, no, we're going to have an event on this day to redeem it, to redeem it for Christ's purposes. So when I come into contact with different aspects of culture, I try to view it through those lens of, is this something to be received? Is this something to be rejected? Or is this something to be redeemed? Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 Yeah, We used to have our, at my former church, we used to have our band leaders write a paper on, we'd go see a concert, Mm -hmm. like, like a small one out at a club or something. And then we'd have them, what, what everybody wants to do after you go and watch a band play, write a paper uh, <laughs> called Receive, Reject, and Redeem. What about that performance can be received, what can be rejected, and what can be redeemed? Hmm. I'm not a big culture warrior. Like, I don't think God's saving culture. Hmm. Uh, so I kind of, I resist. Um, I, I, I get it. Trunk or treat, man, I'm all for chocolate. So... Yeah. And, I, and I don't want to get involved in, in the ugly parts of Halloween. And there's some really ugly yeah. parts. When I was a kid, the church I attended, um, there was a witch um, and she liked, who came to faith in Christ. She was an active uh, witch. I mean, casting spells and trying to talk to the dead. and Because those people do exist. They do. I oh, mean, absolutely. make no mistake. Right, yeah. they do. There are real people, real mm-hmm. physical people, going back to what we were talking about in the last question. Physical people yeah. walking on the earth, living next to you <laughs> right. in your neighborhood who consider themselves witches right. and cast spells right. and try to tell the future, yeah. contact the dead, conjure up demons. Yeah. So when she came to faith in Christ, um, I was friends with her kids. She, she realized how dark the world was in which she had lived wow. and wanted no part of that. So Halloween was not something she was going to participate in at, in at any level. In fact, Halloween, she had been a part of bloodlettings in previous Halloweens where, wow. and I won't go into detail, yep. but, you know, ugly, ugly, ugly stuff. And so for her, it was irredeemable. You know, mm-hmm. for me, chocolate should be saved and it should be cherished. <laughs> so I'm all for trunk or treat. However, yeah. I just... I don't think God, uh, I don't think God died on the cross to save culture. I think he, he died on the cross to save people from sin. So when I approach culture, like I mentioned recently that I went and I spoke at the park district commissioner's board meeting. When I'm there, I'm not there to save the park district. Uh, um, I'm there to, to be a moral influence on the community in which I live. And to the extent that people see Christ in me, praise God. Uh, So I am most concerned that that sin is addressed in my life, my family's life, mm-hmm. the community in which I live, the community, the nation uh, that I'm a part of. So I, it, for me, it's not so much, I, I just, I kind of uh, resist the culture warrior notion. Yeah. But would you say though, what, I hear you saying that, but at the same time, you're like, but I did go and speak yeah, because, to the board. Yeah. Would you say that you did that because you saw an opportunity where you know, you, there's a potential fork in the road and, and the, the culture, I'm using air quotes here, yeah. could either go one way or the other and you yeah. prefer that it go yeah. so I a, want, a certain way. Yeah, I thought, right? I thought potentially, and I'm still not clear on the decision that's been made or if a decision has been made by the Wheaton Park District. So yeah. I have an email out to them that has not been returned. But so potentially I thought the decision that might get made would not be beneficial in my estimation to the community in which I lived. And so I wanted to influence, I want to be a decision that I perceive to be most beneficial. Do you put that in the moral bucket? Um, 
this particular does it go in several buckets? There's, yeah, uh, you there's know. some morality to it. Um, there is, um, for me, I made be, because I don't believe the Wheaton Park District is going to make decisions based upon scripture. Of course not. So right. I offered a a scientific reason. I offered a sociological, psychological reason that yep. they should make. Uh, single-use bathrooms available to the transgender community or the gender dysphoric community. So, um, for me, it's um, it's a greatest. It, I made a greatest good argument. Um, I made a compassion argument. I thought it would be most compassionate to offer single-use bathrooms. So, um, but yeah, I want to stand. Um, for the best interest, as I perceive it, of the community. Yeah. You know, going back to the um, which should be fought against, which should be, you know, I think, uh, and we say this a lot, but I think it's true. It, a lot of these decisions are um, can be best made in community, balancing, on, hey, what, what does your family do? What is your, you know, mm. like my, my family for Halloween, like, yeah, we hang up some pictures of, uh, a, we have a spider named Leonard, and he, we hang <laughs> him awesome. from our tree, and he's activated <laughs> by scary. motion. I mean, kind of scary, right? He's got a <laughs> smile, and and he goes, oh, you know, when he, when the wind blows or whatever. His name's Leonard, and I think that's hilarious. My mom bought it for us. Uh, and uh, we do stuff like that, but we, and we talk about this with our kids. We draw a hard line of no to the things that are gory or demonic looking or, you know, I mean, you do, you drive by some folks' houses during Halloween and they have a graveyard scene and it's, it looks like a horror film, you know? And so like, that's the line that we personally draw, um, where we say that's, that's, that would not be okay for us. Let's do this. Um, that's a great, I think there are probably in our lives, each of us, into our families have things where we said, oh, we can't participate there for moral concerns. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know what? I'll give you another example. Uh, I used to play in a a, a band, um, you know, somewhat recently within the last 10 years. It was like a cover band kind of thing. Played every week. We did a lot of shows. Um, And uh, uh, the, the band leader, the guy who ran it, approached me and was like, hey, I, you know, would you like to sing this song? And I was like, oh, what song is it? Sure, you know, and, and I read the lyrics and was <laughs> like, uh, I'm actually, I'm not going to do that, dude. Like, yeah. I just, that, there's a line. Now, there are other songs that I would sing yeah. that you may, some Christians may think, oh, you're kind of dancing on the line there, yeah. you know, and I'm like, I'm okay with that, but. Uh, and I think that's a great, I mean, these got to be issues of personal conscience. And, right, yeah. like I sang a Montel Jordan song, This Is How We Do It. Right. Mm. Like I did that one. This Mm -hmm. is how we do it. You know, (laughs) I did that one, but I wouldn't do. It wasn't me. Mm. It wasn't me. She caught me. Blah, blah, blah. It wasn't me. And it was all about, you know, getting caught cheating. And I'm like, I'm not going to that. There was a a clear line for me there. Other Christians may have spoken into that and said, you know, that line should have been way higher. You should have not done this or that. Or but for me that there was a triggering moment where it was like, okay, I definitely am not doing this. Yeah. I think the key thing that you said earlier is that you had a conversation about it because out of the three rejection, redeeming, receiving the natural posture that you, you just take automatically is receiving like, okay, whatever is going on in culture, I'm going to receive it. But to have the conversation and, and to open up God's word and say, okay, what do we believe? And to talk about it is so crucial when yep. engaging in culture. 
Yeah, I think it's helpful also when you're thinking about it's not just your own conscience, but like the conscience of the other person around you. Well, um, Paul talks about this in First Corinthians seven when he's talking, or yeah, First Corinthians seven when he's talking about meat sacrificed to idols, and yeah. when he he said that he personally, because idols aren't real gods, he personally would say it's okay to eat that. But he says, for the sake of the conscience of my brother, I'm not going to, and you're gonna uh, yep. t- stay away from that. So I think that's helpful. Yeah, just to think about. Hmm. That's a great point. Hey, Glen Ellen Bible Church, join us July 20 and 27th at 6 p.m. for Summer Nights. We're focused on, or the theme is, Stories of Courage. We'll come together and hold church and build friendships by celebrating God's work in our lives as a congregation. We're going to have dinner together those evenings. Kids will then head downstairs. There'll be special program for them while the adults and the teenagers are together for worship. Stories of Courage, and we'll share time and discussion in small groups. It's a great way to get a taste for the family of God here at Glowing Bible Church, so we'd invite everybody out. You can get all the details at gebible.org slash events, and you can register online. All right, let's go to the next one. I don't get how simply recalling what Christ has done will change my experience of freedom. Can you talk about this some more? How many of you guys memorize scripture? Do y'all yeah. have that discipline? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. a good discipline. I, you know, I wax and wane on it a little bit. Uh, there have been some seasons that uh, I've, I've worked harder at it than others. Uh, the nice thing about memorizing scripture is once you get it memorized, the Lord brings it to mind. Uh, once you get it down in your soul, he brings it to mind. And it, it reframes, inevitably, how you see the world and how you interact with the world. Um, and so the, this recalling, the discipline of recalling, is really aimed at renewing. It's, it's aimed at making sure I see the world as it's described in Scripture, rather than seeing the world as it's described in popular culture. Um, and so hmm. Paul writes in uh, Romans, he says, um, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so recalling is a transformative activity. Um, Paul wanted Timothy to recall the prophecies that had been spoken over him so that he'd fight the battle well. And so those, it, he's, he's, I often re, re describe it as rehearsing. And each week we rehearse the gospel. We retell it so that we don't forget it because we are very prone to forgetting. Mm. Yeah. So um, as I was reading this question of recalling and its connection to freedom, my mind connected it to the, the Passover in the Old Testament and how they recalled that event um, over and over. Do you think that's an appropriate connection to Absolutely, make? Absolutely, yeah. Yep. I mean, even Jesus, when he was fighting the devil in the wilderness, he was quoting scripture and fighting. Yeah. Like, and we were talking about um, the armor of God earlier and says that's the sword of the spirit. Right. Or, yeah, the sword is the word. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what are some ways that, because um, what I hear underneath this question, um, like, how, how can I do this? You already mentioned scripture memorization. Are there other uh, practices that um, our congregations could um, infuse into their life? that would help them recall? Yeah, I'm not a song lyrics guy. Matt is. I think you are. Mm-hmm. I, song lyrics um, evade me for some reason. I love to sing. I love being a part of really good singing. But uh, I think for some people, song lyrics help them uh, 
recall what God has done for them. I was meeting with somebody yesterday and that person said that um, the, the lyric, you'll never let me down, is something that um, they found encouraging. Um, and that it, it reminds them that we'll never be uh, left by God, forsaken by God. So I, I think song lyrics could, could help. Mm -hmm. The Psalm, the book of Psalms was the, the song book of ancient Israel. Mm -hmm. One of the things I love to ask for college ministry right before we start the Bible study is uh, how have you seen God work in your life? And I think storytelling about God's faithfulness is also a way of reminding ourselves and recalling. God's active. Yeah. yeah, he's active in our lives. Yeah. That's great. You know, the, the renewing your mind point is, is what it is, right? Like, that's what this is about. Um, you know, we, we were in, in sermon uh, prep last week talking about a scripture that's coming up in a month where Paul addresses false teachers. And he says something to the effect of um, uh, these false teachers are receiving their doctrine from demons. Satan, from, de or from demons. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Like, so it's, so it's, it's, uh, so the, the congregation is being taught false doctrine from false teachers, but that teaching is actually from demons. So make, make no mistake, and this kind of goes along with what we talked about earlier too, like there are, there are spiritual realities at work. There are spiritual realities that are evil, that are demonic. Um, and these, these play out in our physical world and we receive a lot of these messages. Sometimes when we don't even realize it, we may be just making dinner and the Going TV's on in the day, background right. or whatever, but we're hearing these messages. Yeah. And that's not to say that Satan is on one side of your shoulder and the angel's on the other or whatever. No, but these are part of Satan's schemes. Yeah. So make no mistake about that. And so if you, you're, you're bombarded constantly with these um, false teachings, false teachings. And so to rehearse and to remind yourself is to push all of those other things out, right? Mm -hmm. Like you can only, uh, intake so much. <laughs> so, so intake the good stuff, intake the stuff that's from God, mm -hmm. intake those truths and you'll have less room to intake, you know, those lies and the false teachings mm -hmm. and the things that are going to deter you and steer you away from God. I, I think of your story about the witch, I think that that's exactly what she was doing. I mean, she was, I, I think it would be naive to say that there wasn't spiritual forces, demons at work in, in the world that she was in. And what she's trying to do now is recall the truths of God. And by doing that, she's fighting the good fight of faith. Yeah. You know, um, uh, John Piper has a good bit on, um, uh, if you have a particular sin you keep going back to that you're having a trouble, you know, um, when you feel tempted, when you feel like, here I go, um, to, f to imagine Christ on the cross hmm. and just try to stay there with your mind. Yeah. Like that's a, that's a pretty visceral, that's you a know, recalling. It, that is a recalling yeah. of what God has done of, of in, in to address this sin, right. In the most dire moment in the most, uh, almost, almost, you know, climactic moment, uh, of the scriptures, mm -hmm. um, is to just, and just stay there yeah. and, and be there in your mind as Christ is pierced and is bleeding and is suffering, mm -hmm. uh, and to try to have that mindset. Yeah as you're wrestling with sin and it's powerful. Um, all right, let's go to the last one and you know, we're getting into the, 
what, what Alex shared here. I loved hearing Alex's story of struggle with porn and then confessing and finding forgiveness and freedom. What advice would he offer someone struggling in that reality right now? Yeah, so... Hang on just a sec before you get there. So we do our sermon prep together, as Matt mentioned, and we, we work about a month in advance. Um, but yesterday's two sermons <laughs> couldn't be more different. Apples um, and oranges. Yeah, and that's okay. We talk about in sermon prep laying a foundation upon which each preacher can build their structure according to God's leading. And so the, the sermons looked very different because the preachers had very... Um, were led differently, and that's okay. So, Yeah, and like in our congregation, the, the weekend before, um, we passed out invitations um, at the Bartlett Fourth of July parade. And so uh, we had a, quite a few new people uh, checking out our campus yesterday. And so um, it, it made more sense out of the text to focus on just kind of a basic gospel message. And so yeah. what the message was about, the first part of First Timothy 1, verses 12 through 16, is Paul, uh, you know, Brennan, you talk about retelling of stories and what God has done. That's what Paul does. He talks about how he was a persecutor and a violent man and a blasphemer. And he, he just talks about his story and where sin took him. And so I use that opportunity yesterday to talk about um, my own story and where sin took me in, um, in regard to pornography. Uh, I talk about how um, I was in third grade uh, when it was introduced to me for the first time and how it just grew and grew and grew uh, before I found forgiveness and freedom in Jesus. And so um, I know just by sharing that, usually when I share that story, there's um, a few emails in my inbox of somebody asking that same question of like, okay, I'm in that world right now. Uh, what should I do? How, you know, how do I get out of this reality? How can my story change? And what I would say is I would recommend three things and feel free to add on to it as um, I walk through them. The first thing I would say is pray, uh, repent and ask for forgiveness. And I know that this is not uh, an easy thing because oftentimes when we're in the pit of sin, uh, the last place we want to go is before the throne of God. But there is power in that. I think of Acts 3.19, uh, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing mm -hmm. may come from the Lord. That's why this first step is so important is that when you lay your sins um, before God and you pray and ask for forgiveness, there is an actual refreshing that comes from him. Um, that idea of a burden being lifted, I think, is captured really well in Psalm 51. That's a psalm that David wrote. Um, running back to God after some of his sins with Bathsheba. So the first thing I would say is pray, repent, go to God. The second thing I would say is uh, go to trusted spiritual mentors, your pastor, um, friends, people that you respect uh, that are following after the Lord, and confess your sins to them because accountability is a huge thing. And again, this is, this is not an easy step because when you're in sin, the, the last thing you want to do is um, kind of reveal yourself on how far you've fallen. But uh, two things tend to happen when you confess your sins to others. The first is that oftentimes it creates me too moments. I mean, Kelly, you mentioned earlier that you also struggled with lust mm. and that, that type of conversation would never happen if we all just hold on to our own sins. But when we uh, confess our sins to one another, me too moments get created, but also they can keep you accountable. Um, I think of James 5.16, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. One of the ways that that healing takes place is by uh, accountability and people that can keep you accountable. Um, and so I, 
I hope I hope this is okay to share. I, you know, when I joined on the Glen Ellen staff team, I was very transparent to Kelly and John about um, some of my historic struggles with this. And what I loved about the staff here is that uh, they were intentional about installing software onto my computer to help me. Uh, that's accountability, and it's helping me fight the good fight of faith, and it's something I really appreciate it. So the first step is prayer. The second step is confession to one another. And then the third way is, is just brainstorm ways you can offensively and defensively tackle the issue. Um, if you think in terms of like sports illustrations, um, offensively tackling the pornography issue uh, is what we've talked about earlier with recalling um, scripture memorization, Bible studies, um, meditation. Sometimes uh, if an addiction has grown so serious, pursuing Christian counseling, um, that's a good way that you can um, kind of help overcome the issue. And then uh, defensively, um, that's stuff like blocks and screen monitoring and deleting apps or maybe even... Uh, I know this is going to trigger some millennials and maybe Gen Z people listening to this podcast, but maybe even going to a dumb phone for a season, not mm. having a smartphone, you know, that I've had to do that at different seasons in my life, but there are offensive and defensive ways you can tackle the issue. So summarizing what I just said, cause I know I just kind of dumped a ton on y'all. Um, prayer is the first thing. Confession to one another is the second and then strategies um, offensively and defensively to tackle the issue. So that's what I got as I was thinking about that question. What else would you guys add? Uh, just from, from an overarching yeah. uh, point of view, um, treasuring, treasuring Jesus more than anything, yeah. in my experience, makes sin uh, and some particular sins uh, far less attractive. When I start to believe that, that treasuring Christ above all will actually <laughs> fill those spaces that I'm looking to fill. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, how, how does that happen? How do you, what, like, what are you physically doing with your body to yeah, treasure? I, honestly, man, I think, um, I think first you, you have to like tell yourself that that's the truth. You have to like convince yourself that that, that, that this is actually true. The more you value Jesus, the less you're going to value your sin. Mm. I think, I think that's how it works. The more I treasure Christ, the more I believe that, that th the word of God is life, mm -hmm. that there's life there. The more I believe that, the more I want to spend time in it, the more it doesn't feel like a chore to spend time in it, the more I'm excited to open up the Bible and, and read his word and have a meeting with him, the more I believe that God is living and, and here and with me and wants the best for me and loves me, the more I'm excited to have that meeting with him each day. Yeah. Right? Like, the I, like man, I got a meeting I can't miss today, right? We, yeah. we have those meetings that we meet up with people. We're like, oh, man, this is going to be a fun lunch. Can't wait to meet up with this person. Like, when was the last time you felt that way about meeting with God in the morning mm -hmm. or in the afternoon or whatever? Like, once, if you can believe that that's true, because it is true, mm -hmm. you will start to cherish your sin. You, you, you won't want those meetings with your sin. Mm -hmm. as much as you want the meetings with God. And I, there's, a, there's a shift of, of belief that needs to happen. And then I think there's practical ways 
where it has to happen because there's seasons where you maybe you're, you're not on fire for God. You're not you're not quite where you once were, maybe. And in those seasons, and Kelly talks about this a lot, you usually uses terms like make your layups, like mm-hmm. you still spend the time in the word, still make your prayers about mm-hmm. uh, your desires, mm-hmm. right? Like pray about it. You, you're just talking about prayer, but pray about it. You would desire God above all, that you would, that you would, you know, cherish God, that God would be a treasure to you. Like make those prayers. Um, is, is it in the book of Revelation? You've forgotten your first love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I think that's what that—that's yeah. at the heart of what you're saying. Yeah, you know? yeah. Make Christ your first love. Yep. I find that um, you know, in my ebbs and flows of of faith, like the seasons where I just—I don't not even thinking about a particular sin all that much, or usually the seasons where I'm I'm like, man, I can't wait. I can't mm-hmm. wait to meet with God. I can't wait to find out what his word says, or you'll read something and you're just like, how have I never seen it like that? How has it never hit me that way before, you know, in his word? Like, wow, that's amazing. You know, just having those, those encounters with God, um, for me, make sin less attractive. Yeah, absolutely. It's good stuff. I want to say uh, sin is less attractive as grace, as I experienced the ministry of grace, which is along what the lines of Matt. <laughs> is saying so when i talk to brothers and sisters about you know um, my sin which is code for confess and grace is ministered to me then it it concretizes for me that there's nothing better than fellowship with christ and yeah yeah and specifically for the sin of lust if you're dealing with pornography, if you're dealing with that kind of thing, like that, a lot of times for men, well, for men and women there, you do need to dig. You, you mentioned counseling. Yeah. And a lot of times, like, yes, it's all of these spiritual things that we're talking about. It's spending time in prayer and in the word. But a lot of times it is about, hey, let's let's figure out what's going on here. Yeah. Let's let's dig. This may yeah. be difficult. Why am I going to this sin? Right. What's motivating me? Right, right, right. And a lot of times there's probably some some physical answers that had happened to you in your past. Yeah. Um, or, yeah, just early patterning. You yeah. talked about third grade. That's early. Yeah, yeah totally right. So early patterning and... And having an understanding of that can, yeah. can just sometimes help. It brings freedom, sure. In, 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 exactly, in bringing freedom. So what I, dis- I distinguish there between excuses and reasons. There are, you know, there's good reasons. My favorite sin is my favorite sin. I don't want to offer those reasons as excuses to continue in sin, but I do want to understand them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, you know, if you're listening to this today and this is an area that you're struggling with and you're like, I don't even know where to turn to find a Christian counselor or, you know, I don't even have that, that person in my life that I can confess into. Uh, we are all available. I mean, that, that yep. is a meeting that I would schedule in a heartbeat and understand that I know it may be scary to bring some of um, those sins into the light, but I'm telling you there's freedom um, yeah. and grace available. I'm, I'm chuckling a little bit because, man, there's not a whole lot you're going to bring to the pastoral team at this church where we're going to be like, whoa, whoa, never heard that before. Uh, yeah. It's pro- honestly, it's probably not going to happen. Kelly, how long have you been in ministry? 30 years, 30 years, Yeah, 30 years. Like yeah. there's yeah. not a whole lot you're going to hear where, no. you know, I was just thinking my favorite book, uh, the best book I've read is titled unwanted. 
how sexual brokenness reveals our way to healing. And the thesis of the book is the reason we're going to immoral sexual behavior is actually um, found um, or fueled by a God-given desire that we're trying to meet in an ungodly way. And so if we can come to terms, if through counseling or insight, the Holy Spirit's insight, come to come to recognize why am I acting out immorally? I don't want to do this. Why am I doing it? If we can realize what that is, then we can redirect that to the real need meter who is Christ. Yeah. Unwanted. How sexual brokenness reveals our way to healing. All right. I think that's it. That's all the questions we have for you today. If you have any further questions, comments, or concerns, don't hesitate. Text the Next Level Podcast, 630-474-6164. Our podcast is dedicated to answering listener questions on two levels, answering specific questions about last Sunday's sermon, and also just general questions regarding broader topics within the Christian faith. We love God and believe that scripture is a primary means for our getting to know Him. And our hope is that the podcast extends the learning opportunity for all who want to know God better, strengthening not only your faith, but my faith and our faith together. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in to the next level. Boom! Prophecy.